1: presented by t-mobile the official wireless partner of odyssey sports with an awesome network and great savings there's never been a better time to join t-mobile visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today welcome back folks we're joined by guy williams president gulf coast bank and trust guy welcome to the show thank you good to be with you guy a lot going on all over the place especially with the economy latest inflation news where do we stand
2: Yeah, it was an interesting month. Uh, Inflation actually ticked up a little bit. It went up uh, on a CPI from 3.1 to 3.4. And the core, which is the one the Fed looks at, went down a tiny bit from 4 to 3.9. So a little bit of a mixed signal. But put together, what it says is the Fed is going to be a little more cautious about reducing rates because getting down to their 2% target is looking like it's going to be more challenging than they initially thought.
1: So I know that there's, um, it was reported in the wall street journal the other day, there was a survey done of both business and academic economists about, you know, the the possibility of this recession next year. And it seems that uh, more than not are starting to lower the probability and you know the title of the article was interesting. It said it won't be a recession; it'll just feel like one.
2: Uh, does this play into that? I think you're exactly right because uh, when when you look at some of the political coverage, one of the things that's happening is people are saying, "I keep hearing that the economy's great, but I'm not living as well as I was a few years ago. I'm feeling worse," and so a lot of that is personal and what you spend money on and also what you expect the future to be so there's a little apprehension and you know i can't think of a time if really in the last few decades when the global news has been uh, worse you have the ukraine russia war still going on and you know who knows maybe russia's gaining the upper hand because they're willing to tolerate horrible casualties for longer Uh, The Middle East situation doesn't seem to be stabilizing anytime soon. Iran is pushing the button on the the Houthi rebels trying to shut down the uh, trade through the uh, Suez Canal. So you have a lot of things when people people think about why they feel good or bad, it's hard to know for sure. You know, you, you wake up in the morning, you feel something. Well, what do you feel? you feeling good, bad? You know, we we know in New Orleans if the Saints play well, we feel pretty good at the end of the season when they won but didn't control their destiny. We felt terrible. Uh, So I think people are nervous about the global situation. It's just a background fear that something really might get out of control. And then a lot of people are saying, you know, Prices may be slowing down, but none of them are going backwards, and it's more expensive for me to live my life. When I go to the grocery store, it's still more expensive. Uh, Eating out is still more expensive. And so people are just feeling stressed economically. They're being stressed uh, psychologically. And, you know, of course, the coverage of the elections coming up this year doesn't help because – you know, both sides really stress, you know, the extreme because they want to get people either mad or afraid to get them out to the polls. So all of that put together does make it feel like a very tough time. Some some is economic reality. Some is emotional and some is just fear of the unknown. Guy, in this same article,
1: they said economists on average expect the economy to grow just one percent in 2024, about half of its normal long-run rate and a significant slowing from an estimated 2.6 percent in 2023 they quoted an economist rajiv dawan at georgia state university said this is less a recession and more just a growth stop is that is that fair
2: well he's right in that the technical definition of a recession is uh two quarters of declining gdp but it could it would certainly feel like a real recession and i would really question that there's a there's a fun website that that i would recommend people look at it's the atlanta fed gdp now gross domestic product now and what the atlanta fed does is they just take the numbers as they come out and pop them into a spreadsheet right at this moment Atlanta Fed GDP now is projecting about 2.25 percent growth, and interestingly, this forecast that the Atlanta Fed comes up with has been accurate, probably about 70 percent of the time. So better than the Economist average. So I think I'd I'd go with Atlanta Fed number versus the uh, yeah. I mean economic that, that statement just kind
1: of struck me as odd. I mean it was kind of like what? Wait, you know. Because there are some other yeah, things think, that, that – You, you know, know, one
2: thing are, that happens – I'm sorry, I didn't no, mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. I just said one of the things that happens is sometimes economists want to get on the next radio show, and they'll they'll say something extreme just so people will call them up. And I know that's not a little unfair, but I think occasionally when you get these outlier predictions, that may be the case. And I like Georgia State. They, they were the ones who came up with one of the first econometric models. So mm-hmm. good university, good economics department. And, look, who knows? This forecast may be right, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. stick with the mid-twos. Right, right. But uh, it seems as though
1: most are, are, are aligning with what you just said, that there's probably going to be fewer rate cuts in 2024.
2: Yeah, I think so. The, the Fed has been predicting projecting three rate cuts which is 75 basis points 3 quarters of 1% starting in May. The markets were projecting six. Now the markets are still projecting six. I think they're mistaken. I would I would tend to stick closer to the people that actually make the rate cuts. You know, if they're telling you what they're going to do and they're they've been really working hard to be transparent and Forecast their moves and project their moves into the future. So if the people that are making the moves are telling you this I think I'd be inclined to believe them and say Three is probably it and not likely to begin until May and I mean they always have that data-dependent clause, too So if the economy heats back up, you know, they may defer it even further Right,
1: right let um Let's pivot real quick to a breaking story the other day. You and I have talked about uh, the future of electric vehicles, whether or not this country has fully embraced uh, this notion of of moving um, from combustible engines to EVs. Hertz the other day announces that they plan uh, to get rid of a, boatload of vehicles roughly 20,000 they were one of the first to come to market and say that their goal was to actually buy 100,000 vehicles that didn't um, actually happen and now they are selling 20,000 evs and interestingly what they found was is that the repair and maintenance costs uh, were with these evs was far greater with combustible engines and they also had a problem marketing this to consumers
2: yeah there's a there's a twofold problem one is most consumers aren't used to evs so you pull up to the hertz counter and they say hey we got a great deal on an ev and you think uh you know how am i going to charge it if you don't own an ev yourself you don't have the uh charging apps on your phone which you need to to operate the chargers So you get a little bit nervous, and you tend to say no. I mean, I've gone to the Hertz counter, and and before they say, hey, (laughs) for the same price, you can have a Corvette. So, yeah, I'll take that deal. That would be fun. You know, I don't have to own it or insure it. I get to drive it for a while. The EV, if you were driving a long distance, people are nervous about it. Uh, We have some body shop customers. You have to take special training to repair EVs. Uh, The battery is part of the frame. And it is extremely critical that it not be disturbed when you're doing repairs. And it's also very dangerous in that it can cause a fire that you can't put out with water. So for body shops to work on EVs, they have to have separate certification. And that all costs money. And you know, this body shop is one, if I named them, you'd recognize the name. They're very prominent in New Orleans. You know, we're just not, there's not enough demand yet. We're not getting that certification. So, yeah. you have few places that repair them because it's a lot of trouble. It's very expensive to repair. Most consumers are a little concerned. The other thing, and I would really dislike this if I were a car maker, the EV sales have skewed based upon politics, which is very unfortunate. If you have a mass market product, you want everybody to like it, left, right, and center. You don't want people on the left or right to say, oh, this is my drink, and then suddenly you've lost half your market. Well, EV sales, when you graph them by state, you have a tremendous concentration in left-leaning states. And so it almost becomes a badge of honor. Oh, I'm, I'm driving an EV. I'm leaning one way. Or I'm not driving an EV. I'm leaning another way. And that's that's unfortunate for the car makers. That's not a place they want to be. But it's it's another reason EV sales have stalled. And uh, manufacturers have cut way back on their projections. In Germany, the uh, subsidy dropped, and EV sales plummeted by over 80%. So it, it may be a technology that's ready, but not not ready for mass adoption just yet. You know, it's funny you say that about the
1: battery rack. I, I just was doing my research, and I came across a YouTube video that raised a battery-operated car, and they actually removed the rack. 36 bolts that hold the rack to the bottom of the car. One of the things that Hertz complained about is with minor accidents uh, that cause damage to the rack, that the warranty uh, becomes questionable, and I guess they're worried about it being voided. uh, If you don't repair the rack, uh, that there's downstream implications that are not nice um so they you know now i i, I was kind of curious i was trying to figure out why so much and then when i saw what you have to do to remove the rack it all became evident to me why this is a
2: problem yeah there are a couple of other problems and, and hertz discovered this and in, in a lot of places you have the uh you go to rent your cars and they're stacked one time one floor apart another in san francisco it's like that five floors of uh autos evs are very heavy and they were being told by the parking lot owners look you can't fill this row with all evs you have to spread them out a bit because if you do you're going to overload the weight limit in the uh, garage so that's a problem the other thing that's creeping into the uh, sales challenge is uh condos i have a friend that's the president of a condo and Somebody got an EV, and so they arranged a, an EV hookup, and then another person got an EV, and they went to the power company and said, look, we, need, we want another EV. They want a plug-in hybrid, and the power company said, look, you have to tell us how many you want. We're not going to do this one at a time because we're having to run extra power to your building. So give us a number, 10, 20, 100, and we'll give you a cost. Well, they went back to the homeowners, and a big fight ensued because the people that didn't have EVs didn't want to share the cost. The guy that wanted one new EV spot said, well, I don't need 10. I only need one. And so these are little problems that people hadn't thought of, the weight problem, the repair problem, the uh, getting the power to apartments and condos that are all slowing adaption.
1: Yeah, where where do you think this ends up? I mean – I. I... You know, I know that Germany revised their projections of where they were going to be by 2030, 40, and 50. I mean, they were pretty aggressive on EV vehicles, and it seems as though they're retreating a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think the the best approach would be to let the market dictate the speed at which adaption occurs. Because people like things that are new and interesting. You have early adapters, and they bought cars that were expensive. And then you have people that want things that are functional and effective, and we're not quite there yet. You also have folks through the Gulf South that are a little nervous about evacuations. I mean, I I cannot imagine having only a fleet of EV vehicles if you had to evacuate. I mean, could you imagine, Newell, you're sitting in that line going to Baton Rouge, watching the battery charge go down as a hurricane approaches? And there's nothing you can do. I mean (laughs) – You'd be you'd be in a state of panic for the hurricane and the electrical vehicle. So I think we need to let the the charging system be built out at the appropriate rate and not push the consumer faster than they want to go. And that's I think that's where we got some of the governments got ahead of the consumer and we're pushing them to do something they didn't want to do and pushing them at a rate that they didn't want to accept.
1: Yeah, it's interesting when this article came out and you start to really dig down into some of the, uh, the underlying issues relative to EVs uh, go, going through uh, tires quicker because of the weight of the vehicle. I, I had no idea the differential in the rate was that I knew it was heavier, but I didn't realize it was that much heavier, which uh, obviously is is causing all kinds of problems.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, parking lots can't deal with a full load of EVs. It's not They just aren't designed for that, that weight load. So, yeah, that's one of those things people didn't think about. If everybody switched to EVs, a certain number of parking lots would have to be demolished and rebuilt.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where this plays out. We'll be right back. We're visiting with Guy Williams, President, Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. Stay with us, folks.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome back, folks. We're visiting with Guy Williams, president Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. Guy, uh, we continue to have uh, budget troubles in D.C. It seems as though the best option that we have is kick the can down the road again.
2: Yeah, I, I, I hate to say it, but that probably is the best option And we're really in a a tough situation. We have our own uh, Louisiana representative, Mike Johnson, as Speaker of the House. But he controls one half of one third of the government. So and he controls it by a skinny, skinny margin. If everybody shows up and is healthy, he's got 220 versus 213, Team R versus Team D. But. You have problems in that you don't have all of your 220. Our own Steve Scalise has some health issues, and I'm praying for Steve and his family as, as he's doing uh, stem cell transplants. But uh, you had a guy that we don't, nobody even knows about <clears throat> here in Louisiana, a Kentucky Republican representative, Hal Rogers, was in an auto accident over the weekend. He won't be available this week. So now you're down two Republicans. Your margin has shrunk. You've got a tiny edge, and we're up against a deadline to uh, fund the government while the world is in chaos. You you have Houthi rebels shot a ship, a, a U.S. ship, and hit it with a rocket in the Red Sea. Uh, you've got a budget crisis in that we're spending more money than we take in by a substantial margin, and we're in the middle of an election year. So – yeah, kicking the can down the road doesn't normally seem like a great idea, but the proposal now is to kick it down the road to uh, March 1st and March 8th, which is probably the best that we can get in this time, in this situation. But uh, conditions
1: aren't going to improve that much. I mean, because they have a difficult time, uh, as always, with the Freedom Caucus getting all of those members to to. To come on board, right? Even though Johnson is from the Freedom Caucus, right? Uh, if my memory serves is. me correct. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that he's going to be able to corral all of those members.
2: Yeah, he's not a bomb thrower. He's a, a rational person. If you talk to him, and you wouldn't, you you would think a compromise could be worked out. But once again, when you only control one half of one third of the government and what you want is something that is substantially different from what the people that control the rest of the government want, you really are in a a difficult situation. Uh, The big issues are immigration and a compromise could be worked out, but it's going to take probably a new administration to make that happen. Uh, The budget is a big, big deal. At some point we have to deal with the ongoing budget crisis. And so – those two issues alone are a real challenge. And then there's a, a little bit of reluctance by some Americans to support uh, people overseas. It's like, well, maybe the Ukrainians can deal with their, their problem all by themselves, which is not true, but it it resonates a bit. So foreign involvement, the budget, immigration are all tough issues. I think any real solution is going to have to wait for the elections in November and hopefully some clarity. Either one team wins enough or loses enough that you change the dynamic. But right now, it's very difficult to make substantial changes from this much of a minority position when the team that controls most of the other positions is firmly opposed. Yeah, and there's
1: no clear g- game plan, right? Because you have one faction that wants to tie Ukraine to border security, you have another one that wants to tie defense spending. Uh, to Ukraine, back to border security. Um, you have the issue with the funding of Israel. Um, you now have Bernie Johnson saying that he wishes that uh, President Biden would change or soften his position towards Israel uh, for political purposes because he's he's getting his, his uh, according to him, his brains beat in on, on this particular issue with a certain sector of the electorate. But this is where we always get in, 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 um, in quicksand, right? And we don't know how to get out of it when we start mixing and melding and, and taking into consideration political ideology uh, why we have a bastardized foreign policy and why we can't ever come to a resolution on the budget. And I'm kind of curious whether or not if we mandated up or down single issue only votes, whether any of this would change.
2: It would probably change a bit, and it would also help if we had a little clarity in direction. And, you know, part of the challenge is, you know, we always talk about Republican dysfunction, and a lot of that's driven by the media narrative of liking to talk about that. But uh, Democratic dysfunction is just as real. It's just not. Oh, sure. Because within the House, there's a strong discipline on the Democratic side that you always vote uh, team D so you don't see that split up except that there is a reality within the administration of people that are strongly opposed to the administration's position in Israel and are saying you know we're just going to sit out the elections We're, we're done we're we're really upset and they're sending you know letters behind closed doors staff members are quitting so part of the democratic coalition is really up in arms and then the immigration issue doesn't always work the way it it seems because you're getting uh, New York rep- rep- Democrats telling the Biden administration you're killing us, and you know Biden is saying, well, we're we're pro immigration as a party, and the Democrats are saying we are, but our laws in New York mandate that we have to provide a room and food for every person that shows up, and you're inundating us with um, immigrants and then new york's forced to appeal to texas and saying look quick sending them in texas is saying well what do you want us to do it's, it's your president letting them across the border so the tensions are real and you know we've got to address immigration comprehensively you've got to deal with okay what do you do with people that are here you're not gonna you're not gonna evict all of them that's not rational there has to be some path to citizenship either a fine, a time period, a review. There has to be something about extended families. You can't let, you know, everyone's cousin, brother's uncle, you know, aunts come in. So that chain family immigration is an issue. The quantity, the number, you know, these are all tough issues, but we've solved it. We've solved them in the past. We just need to come together. And I think I think it's going to have to wait until after the November election before we're able to do that unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine that anyone's going to be willing to compromise and 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 give anyone space to be able to claim that this this was their accomplishment, right?
2: Yeah, and I I'll I'll go back. I was I was in a meeting and I was talking to a lady that was really really active in the the Democratic Party and And she was she'd switch. She joined no labels. And I I was talking to her. I said, well, what happened? She said, I couldn't believe what happened. I said, well, what was it? And this is a sensitive issue. I'm not taking a personal stand. I'm just reporting her position. She said, we had a chance. We had the votes to codify Roe v. Wade so it wouldn't be subject to the Supreme Court uh, possible overturn. But the decision was made that we'd rather have it as a political issue. Then get to a solution. Now, for her, this was a make-or-break issue, and she felt that was too cynical for her to take. And so she split from the party. And unfortunately, there's some of that going on on both sides, where they'd rather have the issue than the solution, because the issue is something they can fundraise around and something that they think will help them in the next election. But you wonder, well. At what point do you ever solve problems if you always want the issue around to fundraise for? And that's what just drove her out of the party and said, I'm going to no labels. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's all based on friction, right? And that's why I'm not in favor, and I'm not asking you to opine on this, but I'm not in favor of this closed primary uh, thing that that they're trying to gain traction around here in Louisiana. I like the open primary. I don't want a party deciding what my choice is going to be. Uh, and I don't want and I don't want candidates being beholden to the party uh, because all it all it's about is creating friction around issues. And they, they want to minimize whoever's going to decide to run under either party la- label. And when you have almost a third of the electorate in the state as no party or independent, how do you disenfranchise those folks from having a say so in in you know, uh, who's going to be uh, able to be put up for, for public office. And you're right. I mean, it's yeah, not but, about the solution. It's about it's about marketing, gaining control, and it's all about friction. Conflict.
2: Yeah. And the unfortunate thing is when you gain control, when are you going to actually enact your policies and quit worrying about the next election? And I think that's, that's one of the things that I, I really fault both parties. You fall in you fall in love with the uh, policy and you forget the priority of, of trying to solve something. And look, the the election things are – anytime you talk about changing open, cl- primary, closed, primary, ranked choice, everybody on both sides starts getting their calculator out and saying, well, what will help me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the calculus that goes into it. And I'm not sure which one is best. I, I know there was a funny article about how it happened and uh, – Young intern was riding with Governor Edwards when he, uh, when he get went, got elected the first time. He said, you know, I'm darned if I'm going to have to run three times ever again because he had to run, you know, when when the uh, Democrat run in the Democratic election, run in the uh, runoff as a Democrat, then run against the Republican. He said enough is enough, and he just changed it. He had the votes in the legislature, so that was one of his first acts. It's like, okay, done. I don't know how deeply there was thought put into it, but that's how it worked. And the momentum in
1: the country is moving more towards open primaries than there are closed primaries, because I I think there's 16 states that have a true closed primary system. Most have developed hybrids, and a lot are trying to move closer to the Louisiana model. Um, They're having the same political issues, though, because no one wants to
2: consume their political capital. Yeah, and you have to recognize independents are a growing force, and it's not fair to disenfranchise them. So something that allows independents to have a voice does matter. Absolutely. Got to get to a break.
1: We're visiting with Guy Williams, President, Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. We
0: really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile. Get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.
1: Welcome back. We're visiting with Guy Williams, president, Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. Guy, you make the observations that there are a couple of things that I guess if you get them as a gift, you need to use them right away. Don't save them. Gift cards, frequent flyer miles or points.
2: Tell us about it. Absolutely. Uh, Let's start with uh, frequent flyer miles. One of the challenges with frequent flyer miles is that the airlines change the rules Usually every couple of years, and it's always to make the program more difficult and a little more unusable for the consumer. You don't earn interest on frequent flyer miles; they tend to get devalued as time goes on. So, if you have them, the real thing to do is use them as quickly as possible. Have an objective. Uh, you know, when you get to that trip, go ahead and do it. Don't save it up for you know years and years because you're literally saving something that's declining in value. The other thing is a lot of people get scattered around with a few miles on a number of different airlines where you really don't have anything that you can use. If you if you find yourself in that situation, go ahead and click on the website, and if you have knick-knacky miles, either donate them. Most airlines give you that option or use them for things like magazine subscriptions, gift cards. But go ahead and get rid of them. While they have some value and before you forget about it and then concentrate on, you know, one airline, you know, we're, we're mostly a Delta Southwest hub here in New Orleans, beginning to have more spirits. So pick an airline, you fly a lot and focus on that. But as soon as you get the miles, use them up because they're going to go down in value. There's a website and you and I know we don't get paid by any website promotion, but it's called the points guy and he just gives tips on uh, using frequent flyer miles. You know, there, there's some crazy things, too. it. year end, people are trying to get their uh, mileage up to get into the next level, and you have crazy trips. One person went around the world to get the last group of miles. Another person traveled for four days, literally, to get the mileage segments to stay in a, uh, an elite class of mileage. So it's important to pay attention to the miles, and important not to save them because they do go down in value.
1: And if you ever sat there and, and read the document that outlines your, what your rights and privileges are in these points programs or frequent flyer miles, it'll, you talk about a headache. I mean, oh so yeah. So the and points, the points guy, I've, I have visited his site before, and he's pretty spot on.
2: Yeah, and one of the things that drives me crazy is. Is you, you want to use points. You want to go to New York, and it's like, okay, there are three flights to New York from New Orleans direct. The points travel, you're going through Cincinnati. It's like, well, I don't want to do that. It's like, yeah. But you get tortured to do it. The other one is gift cards. If people are fortunate enough to have gift cards, put them in a highly visible spot and resolve to use them in the next 30 days. Because one of the reasons that Stores love gift cards is they get the money today, and there's what's called breakage. And what that means is something like 30% of gift cards are never used. People forget about them. They lose them. And so the merchant gets all the money today, and they're never used, or they expire. A lot of gift cards have an expiration date, which frustrates me. You know, you got the money. I mean, goodness sake, it shouldn't expire. The money you got is real. It didn't expire. But people lose or forget the gift cards or, in some cases, the restaurant closes. You know, I had that happen to me last year. It's like, oh, we're going to save this, we're going to save it, and then we're ready to go. It's like, oh, no, ain't there no more.
1: And the same thing with points on a credit card, right, Uh, where they have these, um, what do you call them, these product magazines that you can order stuff from. And it seems like an exorbitant amount of miles that you're giving up for it, but – uh, or points excuse me, but it might be the best opportunity to get something out
2: of them. It really is and I' I'd re- I just recommend spend them as quickly as you get to something you want because most people end up forgetting about their points. You have that breakage issue. you have the devaluation issue where it used to be a hundred thousand to go to Europe then it became 200 or three hundred thousand points. It's like wait a minute, you lost two-thirds of your value by waiting. And that's one of the dangers of uh, accumulating these things because it's not a savings account. It doesn't get more valuable. It gets less valuable as time goes on.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that because I had a gift card. My wife pointed it out to me just yesterday. She said, you let this expire. I let it expire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she
2: didn't let it expire. She knew knew the date, but it was your fault.
1: (laughs) Actually, she had it. I don't even remember where it was. I said, yes, dear. And
2: moved on. (laughs) No, that's the right answer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Took me a while to figure that out, but I finally got there, (laughs) Guy. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate your time, your insight. Have a great week. Oh, you're welcome. Good to be with you. All righty. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?